Well, we're going to continue in the life of Christ, and for today's lesson, we're in Luke chapter 14. Indeed, the entire chapter, uh, I may have, uh, may have too high of an expectation of, of what we're doing to this morning, but uh, you can see that it's divided into two parts. I've got two outline parts. Number one, jilted expectations, and that's the expectations of the religious leaders and the Pharisees. In other words, their expectation about what the kingdom will look like and who's going to get into the kingdom. Their expectations are going to be turned upside down. As Jesus does so often, he turns expectations upside down. And that's what the kingdom is about. And we're going to hear it through a series of, of talks and parables about banqueting. Because he's, going, he's invited to a Sabbath meal by a Pharisee, again, and of course they're there to test him, uh, but he turns this into teaching about, not just about, some of it's about etiquette, but also parables about how their expectations are going to be flipped upside down. In fact, Jesus is living and doing what they didn't expect, and we'll hear that. The second half is after the banquet, He's heading toward Jerusalem. This is after he has, this is in the last few months before he gets to Jerusalem. Um, and there are a lot of folks following him. But a lot of folks are, don't have any clue what they're in for. So he tells them. And that's therefore point number two, jolting expectations. Whereas the jolted expectations are those of the Pharisees. These jolting expectations are for us and for Israel. And we'll hear about what that means. So, with that, in chapter 14, uh, let's, we're going to do it in sections. Uh, we'll do, first of all, verses 1 through 11. And, Jay, you're right here, ready to go? Ready to go. Verse, through verse 11. Here we go. All right. On the occasion that Jesus was going to the house of, one, of the leader of one of the Pharisees to eat a meal and the Sabbath, they were watching him closely. Just then, in front of them, there was a man with red dropsy. And, and Jesus asked the lawyers and the Pharisees, the lawyers and the Pharisees, is it lawful to cure people on the Sabbath or not? But they were silent. So Jesus took him and healed him and sent him on his way. Then he said to them, if one of you has a child, or an ox that has fallen into a well, will you not immediately pull it out on a Sabbath day? And they could not reply to this. Okay, when he noticed how the guests chose a place of honor, he told them a parable. When you are invited to someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit down in the place of honor in case somebody more distinguished than you are have been invited by your host, and when the host who invited both you may come and save you, give this person your place, and then in disgrace you will start to say, to take the lowest place, but when you are invited to go sit down in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher, and then, then you will sit at the table, and then he will sit at the table with you. For all who exalt themselves to be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Thank you, sir. 
All right, we've heard this scenario before of him being invited in order to be trapped. Notice the words there are the Pharisees were watching him closely. So at first it sounds like, oh, look, a Pharisee. How kind of a Pharisee to invite him to this Sabbath meal. But there is an ulterior motive, and we see it. They're trying to trap him, to trick him. And they've done this before. It's not like he's not aware of it. So even without anything being said, at least as far as Luke records, Jesus knows exactly what is happening. And thus, uh, it seems like, now some, there's, there's disagreement. Was this man who has uh, dropsy, which his, his limbs are inflamed with fluid that usually indicates something else, but really wrong. Uh, and the Pharisees and, and a lot of the rabbinic teaching taught that you, if you had this condition is because of some immorality in your life, those kinds of things. But Jesus, he, he's either planted there or he's just walked in. Off the, off the street. We don't know. But either way, notice Luke just says, and there right in front of him was this guy. Um, so Jesus says, all right, is it, is it lawful to heal or not? So he puts them in a pickle, as he always does. Uh, they're waiting to see if he's going to heal on the Sabbath. Healing is work. Can't be working on the Sabbath. In fact, the meal that they're eating was prepared beforehand, and there's all these elaborate rituals and rules for how to keep the meal warm without doing any work. We won't go into that, but it's all these rituals. And they're there, and he asks, was it lawful for me to heal or to heal? So they're thinking, aha. But now he's asking, instead of work, he's saying heal. Well, wait a minute, only God can heal. And if God does this, hmm. Are we, going to tell, are we going to say God's breaking the law? Is it, you know, so he's got him trapped. So he heals him, embraces him, and off he goes. What a great scene. I mean, there's no fanfare, no nothing. Healed, gone. And then he looks at them and says, Now, which of you, if you had a son or an ox fall in a well or in a ditch, you wouldn't help him out? Again, silence. No, nothing that they could reply. So that's the setup. Now Jesus uses this to now teach. He's using the banquet setting, this, this dinner party setting, to now teach them. And you're going to see a, a progression. There's three of these things. He's going to give three sets of instructions slash parables to help them understand. And in each case, we're going to see that he's flipped things upside down. Here it's the humble of course, not the exalted or the presumptuous who are, who are being called. They're the ones being called. Now, there's this multivalence here going on. Yes, we're talking about an earthly meal, an earthly banquet here, but you're going to watch. You're going to see that as they progress through their discussion, even the Pharisees are, are, going, to, are going to start equating this to the heavenly banquet, the ultimate banquet, as to who is part of God's kingdom. And along the way, they're really going to start getting a little more stung each time. Their expectations, they of course think, well, right here, us, of course. I mean, look at us. We're the ones who are blessed. We're, here we are. We're the ones who keep Torah. We're the ones who make sure you keep Torah. Of course it's going to be us. And Jesus, of course, flips that on them. Well, this one is about humility, right? And this is just good Good teaching and etiquette, you know, don't just clamor for the best spot. And in these banquets, there would be a real, a, an understanding of where those spots were. And they would normally be 
assigned. Apparently here, the Pharisees were elbowing each other out of the way to get into the best spots. Uh, the, in, at least in Roman dining, you had the, the tables arranged like this. Here's, here's the meal, I mean, and here's the, the, actually the cushions. And you would recline. And this is the host, this is the place of honor. And then, interestingly, this is two, this is three, this is four, this is five, this is six, this is seven, this is eight, <laughs> and it goes on like that. They actually knew where to go. So, Jesus is saying, I see a lot of you jostling for these spots. Um, I'm not going to leave this here, and they're not going to have any idea when they come in this room what we were doing. And they're not even going to know what that is. That's a nine. Okay, good. Um, he said, don't do that. Just sit, sit here. Because if you sit here, and then the person that's supposed to be sitting there, I mean, that's just, it's just normal. You know, it's going to be embarrassing for you. And he's just, he's actually, this is not new, right? The Proverbs say this. When you go before the king, don't, don't flaunt yourself before the king. Don't assume before the mighty men. In fact, stay, stay low so that you may be exalted by them. It's Proverbs 20-something, 20 25. Somewhere in there. You can look it up later. Um, I should have written it down. But, uh, but the, the parable part, you think, well, this, how's this a parable? It sounds just like instructions. The parable, this, the lesson comes in verse 11. For everyone who exalts himself shall be humbled. He who humbles himself shall be exalted. Now, the implication as he goes on, they're going to see, it's going to get it more and more pointed. The humble are those who aren't at this banquet. They're the ones no one's even going to invite. They're the people that are excluded for whatever reason, be they sinners or Gentiles or tax collectors or lame or whoever they might be. Jesus is saying, well, actually, they're the ones who may be the humbled one, I mean, the, the exalted ones. And you who pretend to be exalted, watch out. Maybe it's you who will be humbled. So he continues. Now, this was to the guests. I mean, he, he's talking to the guests. Now he's going to talk to the main Pharisee, the one who's hosting it. And beginning in verse 12, he also went on to say to one who had invited him, Now, when you have a luncheon or a dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers, your relatives, or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and repayment come to you. But when you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, then you'll be blessed. They don't have the means to repay you. You'll be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. It's the least expected. Those you need to invite, not the most expected. Not those who expect to be invited. And you hear what he's, he, he's you know, there's a good practical lesson for us, right? Um, when's the last time we had a dinner party for those who maybe are in need and would never have thought about coming to something like that. Notice how this flies against all the things. We, we, love, we love to exalt ourselves. We want the place of honor. We love to exalt ourselves. And we love to get payback. You know, we just, that's just built into how we are. And Jesus is saying, no. I want you to do this with no expectation of any return. Now you see the Pharisees starting to Hmm. Where's he going with this? Because someone now, 
he, he mentions the resurrection. He's mentioning now the end of the age where there will be this messianic banquet. Someone, of course, says, look at verse 15. One of those reclining at the table heard him and he said, Blessed is everyone who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Yeah, that's us. You know, I mean, it's, it's more of a, yeah, kind of, kind of a deflection. I see where he's going with this. Bless, yes, this is a great, this is good, great news. So Jesus now gives a very famous parable about, about who will be at this banquet. You see, throughout the history of Israel, the prophets have been inviting people to, 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 to come to the Messiah. They've been preparing people for the Messiah. The Messiah is here. Now the Messiah is here, and he gives the invitation, the second invitation, which you would do, by the way. Remember, they didn't have watches. You know, so if you were, you were invited weeks ahead of time, you could expect right before the banquet, because it has to be prepared, there's no watch. They would, send another, they would send an entourage to tell you, all right, the banquet's now. Come on. So you had two invitations. Well, let's see what happens. Jesus is the second invitation. Well, let's hear exactly what happens. You're up front. You have to read. It's through verse uh, 24. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to the master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, Go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Yikes. You know, that last little stinger uh, at the end, um, you know, especially after the one guy said, Yes, blessed are all of us who will be there at this banquet. And then he gives this parable about that turns upside down. Maybe it's not those of you who think you're invited who are going to be there. It's those who are uninvited or you don't want in your midst. They're the ones coming in. And if you've watched, and as we've seen throughout looking at the life of Christ, that's exactly what is jolting their expectations. All along they've been expecting the Messiah to come to his holy ones, the Pharisees, and raise them up and go out and conquer Rome and, build, and, and have this exalted Israel lord over the rest of the world. And here's this guy with tax collectors and sinners. And man, he's in, if there's an implication here, maybe Gentiles. Oh my gosh, what is going on here? And that's the nature of the parable itself. Um, those who were invited all have lame excuses, right? You read them really good. You read them lamely. Nicely done, you know. Because uh, they are, you know, they're lame excuses. It's interesting they parallel uh, the except, some of the exceptions given for going to battle in Deuteronomy 20. That if the king is going to war, that if you've, if you've just built a house and it hasn't been dedicated, if you've planted a vineyard that hasn't been dedicated, or if you've just gotten or, or you've just been engaged you were free to, to not have to go to war. But this is not, this is a banquet. 
So it's kind of interesting that Jesus would kind of hint at some sort of parallels. But these, of course, are just earthly concerns or just distractions that get in the way. So they go out into the alleyways of the village and bring in the very people he said, this is who you should invite. The lame, the blind, the crippled, those who would never, ever have thought to enjoy this banquet. And that, of course, is what Jesus has been doing. And then, but sir, there's more room. Well, then go out beyond the village. Go on the streets. Hedgerows. <laughs> when you're little, you're thinking, hedgerows? What? Shake a bush and people fall out? I mean, what, what's going on here? It, it was, it's like, uh, you know, it's under the bridge. It's under the bridge. Yeah, there's shelter, right. You could actually do that on the border now. You could shake bushes. And then people... <laughs> Hadn't thought of that. <laughs> well, they go out and, and notice, he says, and compel them to come in. Convince them. That doesn't mean make them. Okay. Uh, sadly, in church history, Augustine, of all people, uh, saw this as it's, it's okay to compel people. So tortured them. Uh, you know, the, the Inquisition, those sorts of things. They use this as a proof text for that type of compulsion. Uh, how far afield from the message of the Messiah can you get. So that last stinger, of course, is um, I tell you, none of the men who were invited are going to taste my dinner. Now, does that mean no Jews? Of course not. It's, and again, parables are meant to just poof, hit you, and this hits them. Now that's their expectations jilted. Now he leaves now the banquet's over, and he's with his entourage, and there are many more people as well around him, and he sees them following him. And now he gives some really jolting expectations of what he expects. Now imagine if someone were running for office, and they stood up before you and said, elect me. If you elect me, I'll make sure you have, I'll make you, if you elect me, you need to, uh, to hate your family, leave your family. And I'm going to make sure that uh, you, you, would, you would give up everything, you have no possessions, and you're going to face a nasty death. Come to me. <laughs> okay? Uh, yeah, no one would, I mean, that's just, what? But what if, instead of someone running for office, what if you have someone who is leading a rescue operation, and we're getting now down to the nitty-gritty? And it's getting dirty and dangerous. And before completing it, and you're with him, he says, now look, if you're going to go further, if you're going to go further, you might want to ride a postcard back home. You may not see him again. You see the difference? And, you know, you may, you may lose everything. You may have nothing. And chances are, you may not come back. That's more of the tenor of what he's saying. So with that intro, let's hear it. Let's hear what he says. And we'll read the, the rest of the chapter, 25 through 35. And you're up front, so yeah, sorry. Right. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. 
Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It, it is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He's, it, it, you know, that's, of course, a, an idiom for, now, are you, are you hearing this? Are you, are, you, are you hearing what I'm saying? That's how we would kind of put it. Um, so he turns to them with these shocking expectations, these jolting expectations, and it should jolt us every time. Because I believe we would count ourselves his disciples. Disciple is a learner. But discipleship is not an optional extra in sort of a Christian hierarchy. As if, you know, well, I'm a convert. Yeah, I'm not into this discipleship thing. Well, sorry, discipleship is entry level. It's, it's what we're to be. That's what we're to do. That's who we are is disciples. So this should rock our world a little bit. But again, he's heading to Jerusalem to be crucified for our sins. And he wants his followers to know, and we are those, that while it may not always look this way, you should expect it. And he starts, of course, with family. You have to make sure even family ties don't get in the way. Family's important. You know, it's one of the highest, you know, one of those honor your, your father and mother. I mean, this is in the Ten Commandments. This is, this is up there. But he's saying, allegiance to me trumps that. And it's a Hebrew idiom. Like it says hate. That's supposed to rock us a little bit. But it wouldn't have rocked them as much as it rocks us. Because if you love something less, the idiom was that you hated it. So it's not as if he's saying, you know, have bad intentions for these people hate he's saying he's saying the love in comparison should look like matthew of course says something in matthew's gospel it's rendered that way that unless your love basically for them looks like hate you have the wrong perspective because you may be called on to where even family ties are rescinded that's how important this is and notice he says not just not just family, but your own life, your own self. Not willing to take up the cross, he says, you can't be my disciple. Now, we have made the cross sort of a metaphor for a burden, right? I mean, it's, it's my cross to bear, we have that expression. Um, and it's okay in literature, but it can't be okay in, in Christian circles. Remember, the cross for them. This is before his crucifixion. He's told them he's going to be crucified, but they still haven't wrapped their minds around it. I mean, that's what s slaves and criminals and people like that were crucified. You didn't even say the word cross in mixed company. It was like a curse word. And when he says this, that's even more jolting because all they hear is death. They're not hearing 
oh, I have my cross to bear. It's death. You may be heading, like me, towards death. Is your life more important? Now, again, I'm preaching to me, okay? Don't hear me saying, aha, this is convicting as I speak, okay? Um, but if we only speak about things that don't convict us, no one's ever going to preach. So here you go. That's, you have to get over that as a young preacher, but oh, I've, I've struggled with this. Yeah. All the more. Yeah, all the more. So preach it. Um, so he gives, an ex he gives a couple of little parables, right? And, and one is about a builder, uh, someone building a tower, home. Could be a tower that guards your vineyard or your crops, you know, a lookout kind of thing. Uh, what, but whatever it is, it doesn't matter what it is, just you've got to count, the, sit down and see if you've got enough to finish. Reckon. You've got to actually think about this. And that's some of the stuff we don't normally equate with following Christ. We don't tell people in presenting the gospel often, now I want you to stop. This all sounds too good to be true, right? Grace, and it is. Grace is free, but it's not cheap. Here's what you might be getting into if you decide to follow Christ. Often we don't present the gospel that way. Whereas Jesus is saying, I want you to consider. I want you to sit down and truly think about this. Can you afford to follow me? What? Yeah, he, because he knows what's coming. Conscientious thought going into following Jesus. And then the second example, of course, is the king going out with his army. And this is more about can you afford, can you afford to reject the offer? You know, he says, so if you don't, are you going to parlay with the other or are you just going to go out and get destroyed? Which one is it? Again, conscientious thought going into am I truly eyes wide open willing to follow. Now, are we going to stumble? Of course. Are we going to get to point places in our lives where we're going, whoa, I didn't sign up for this. Well, yeah, you did. That's the thing. We did sign up for it. Um, but sure, we're, we're, we're never going to be perfect in our following, but we need to at least recognize that this is the possibility. Now, more than one commentator has also seen this as an indictment of Israel itself that basically the tower is the temple that won't be finished, that people will not follow Christ, the tower, and the army is, again, their idea of themselves taking on Rome, and it's not going to work. He says, you don't, you don't understand, you haven't really counted the cost. And that hints the salt parable at the very end. So salt's good, but when it becomes tasteless, what are you going to do? So some would see that as his saying, going back to the banquet, and who's not going to be there? Well, a lot of it is the, the high religious leaders of Israel. Basically, Israel, as they're looking for the Messiah, were to be salt of the earth. They were to be the light, and they haven't been. They haven't really counted properly the cost. Now, whether that's the case or not, I think individually we recognize as well. That image of salt no longer being effective is the disciple or the person who says, yes, I will follow, and then they do nothing. There's no 
There's, they're not what they're supposed to be. And he's saying it's not even good for the manure pile. Wow. And, you know, even, even salt would be used to regulate the, you know, the, some of the, uh, you know, composting of the manure pile. And he says, not even worth that. Are you hearing me? And that's how he ends it. You hearing me? And we're thinking, yes. <laughs> if, you don't, if you're not doing that, then you haven't heard him. But if at the end of it you go, yeah, I hear, and I'm sorry. Like Peter, I believe, I trust, but help my unbelief. And that should be our reaction. Uh, you know, working with students my whole adult life, which is weird. But anyway, I've been working with students my whole life. So I've been to a lot of camps, seen a lot of people, seen people want to, you know, and, and, and right off the bat there's this really good, yes, I want to, and then nothing because they didn't count the cost. And often they didn't count the cost because we didn't tell them. And I think that's up to us as well. So some expectations have been shattered. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, all expecting that they're going to be right here. May not even be there. May not even be there. And then, of course, the people following Jesus hearing that, whoa, he means really follow. So, jolting expectations. And then I started the class with one, two. Well, Rob will be back at the end of the summer. Nope. Yeah. So I, I just did that to make sure, you know, we had to... It's an illustration. I'm just kidding. <laughs> and they're circling to kick us out. So, let me close this in prayer. Father, as always, we want to thank you for your goodness, your graciousness, your love, your mercy. And we count on those so much. Pray that we are not presumptuous, that uh, we would be humble, as we've heard and learned this morning uh, through your Son and through his words, and that we uh, understand what we're into, what we've signed up for, that uh, with this great privilege we have comes responsibility. And while our while grace is free, there is no cheapness about it. Uh, as we recall from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, when a man calls, when Jesus calls a man to follow him, he bids him come and die. Our prayer is that uh, we're not shocked when you ask us to follow you, even to death. Thank you for the time we've been able to share together. Thank you for this class, this church. We're grateful that in your providence you brought this group together for this time. We pray this in Christ's, day, Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank Love you guys. You. And goodbye, podcast people. Yeah.